Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Boy, I tell you what, it's good to be at Concord this morning, and we're excited about being members here. It feels a little weird after pastoring for over the last 20-some-odd years, and you walk into a church, and, and uh, you, it's weird, but it's good. I walk into a church, and I'm no longer worried about what's working and not working, who's here and not here. I mean, it's just good to, to be able to come in and preach and, and know that other people are doing a lot of good stuff this morning. There are people in the nursery, Sunday school, and all kind of good stuff. I want to tell you something, church. Never take for granted what happens here. I mean, this is a great church with the music and our pastor, Levi. Uh, Man, what a blessing. It's just not like this everywhere. I'm just telling you, trust me, it's not. So sometimes we get used to things like this and go, man, I'll tell you what, man, we got to go to church. Hey, thank Jesus that when you walk in here, you're going to have a staff that loves you, people that are serving you. I love walking on the property from the greeters. All those people out in the parking lot, they look like they're happy to be there. It's awful to walk out there and see somebody that feels like you've got to pay them to be a better blessing. Amen? And so, and then it's good to be with James, James and Harriet. James and I have known each other for a long time. We knew each other when we had mullets. And, uh, and yeah, and you sent a picture to Amir about that, and he sent it to me. Thank you. A bald-headed man worrying about my mullet is not fun. So thank you so much. But it's just great to be here, and we're excited about that. Take your Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 1. Hope that uh, Pastor Levi gets some rest, although it's hard to believe. He's got more energy than the Energizer Bunny, but I hope that he's going to rest some today uh, and uh, this week, and hopefully they get uh, that time of refreshing away. Uh, Stacy and I are glad to be here. I'm in evangelism, or as my... Uh, father-in-law likes to say when he said, now you're going into evangelism. <laughs> that's, that's the way it said to, to a friend, as he, Bucky's gone into evangelism. Like now I'm going to go and vandalize churches with I'm preaching. And so, so anyway, he, he said, he said now let me tell you, let me get this straight. You left a perfectly good church and a perfectly good community, a place that's healthy. They love you. You love them. They pay you and you're able to take care of my daughter and grandchildren, and you're going into a ministry where you preach, and they're going to take up an offering for you. That's right. He said, you better get up here, boy, because you're going to starve. I've heard you preach. So, they, so anyway, that's what we're doing, and, and God's been blessing to us and, and confirmed in so many ways for us to do. But we'll, hopefully, uh, you won't see me much here, but I'll, I'll be like a lot of men. I'll send my wife and my money here, and so uh, uh, they'll, they'll, you'll see them and uh, she'll be here in the next service, uh, I hope. Maybe she's become the prototypical evangelist wife. She's just going to hang out and drink coffee at the house. No, she won't do that. She'll be here. And I said that now when she's not here, and I don't really need her to hear what I just said, okay? <laughs> I just told Baptists to keep a secret. <laughs> Good luck with that. So anyway, James chapter 1, would you please stand as we read the Word of God together? We're going to be in the first four verses there. It says, in verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father, I pray that you would hear us today. And God, that there are people here today that are going through some things. They're not sure what it is or how it is. But God, you would speak to us today. You don't waste your words. You don't waste pain. And so, Father, I pray that. Personally, Father, I understand right now I am totally inadequate. 
I don't have anything in, in me and of me to do what you've called me to do today. So unless you use me, Father, unless I am available to you, what we need to happen is not going to happen. So, Father, I right now intentionally, vocally, publicly state, I need you to do a work today. And I pray that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this text, uh, it's, I love James. It's one of my favorite books. But here we find James. And let me tell you a little bit about James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't even get saved until Jesus comes out of the tomb after the resurrection. So after he gets saved, he pastors a church in Jerusalem. And so in that church, right there in Jerusalem, he never leaves that. He spends his whole ministry life in Jerusalem. But let me tell you what's happening here in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, we see where Peter preaches the sermon. God comes down. People are getting saved. Over 3,000 people get saved. And we find, if you go on and read in Acts chapter 2, they're hanging out together. Everybody's of like mind, like stuff. They're sharing stuff. They're eating in their houses. They're learning the Word of God. Everything's going really, really good. I mean, casseroles are flowing, man. I mean, it's big-time stuff. You walk on into Acts chapter 4, you find out that things start getting a little shaky because Peter and John had the nerve to heal a lame guy on the Sabbath. And this guy that hadn't been walking, all of a sudden he starts walking and leaping and jumping around. You remember, that's Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but what such as I have I give to thee. Rise up and walk. And the guy starts walking all the way into the synagogue. Everybody's excited except for the Jews who are a little freaked out about it. And then you roll on in. Things start getting a little bit worse because you roll into Acts chapter 7 and there's Stephen. You remember Stephen, he's the guy that preaches his first sermon. It was a great sermon, very politically correct, culturally friendly, soft sermon where he tells the religious establishment, you're a bunch of snakes. You're a brood of vipers. Basically, in South Georgia, Georgian language, you're egg-sucking dogs. That's what he called them. And when he gives the invitation, the only thing that comes are stones. They kill him. They're, I mean, they are just absolutely brutalizing him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And things are getting a little rocky. And then you come into Acts chapter 8, where you meet a guy named Paul, I mean, a guy named Saul, who later becomes Paul. And here's what he's doing in Acts chapter 8. He's going house to house, pulling out these new believers to throw them in jail. And in all of that, here's James. They call him the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Can't you see that interview? James, hey, what's the biggest problem in the church? When we've got people, our church members are going to jail and are being killed. How would you like to enter that job? Yeah, it's not about the color of the carpet. It's not about the style of singing. It's not about who's taking care of this or who's taking that. We're going to jail and getting killed. And so that's where James steps in. A lot of people believe this is the first epistle written. And so James writes this because it says in there, to those, those 12 tribes who are being dispersed, they're running. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their houses. They're leaving their businesses. They're leaving. Why? They're fleeing for their lives. And so James writes this letter, and he sends it out to where these people are. And so he's talking to them. And, and instead of saying, hey, listen, I want you guys to calm down, we've got a lobbyist up in the synagogue who's coming up with a really cool religious liberties bill. You'll be able to come back real soon. I understand it. Don't panic. But we're putting together a really good team. We're raising a lot of money so you can all get back here. That's not what he says. No. What James tells these people who have just left their houses, scared to death in their lives, hey, count it all joy. 
I can just see that. They're waiting for this letter, and then they're going to read it. And they, and they say, man, here we got it. This is from Pastor James. Let's read it. Count on joy. No, 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 wrong letter. Ethel, bring the right letter. No, this is it, honey. He says, count it all joy. <laughs> I know what I'm sitting there thinking of. I'm reading that. Pastor James has got into the Kool-Aid again. Something's wrong. But that's what he says here. And basically, so James writes this letter. I call the title of the sermon, A Big Boy Faith, Advancing Through Adversity. But James is writing a letter. He wants them to understand something. Because they're brand new believers, but they're going through incredible persecution, trial. And they don't understand it. And so he writes this letter to them. And this is what they're dealing with in this whole deal, in this whole first century church. And they're talking about it because things are going crazy. Why? Because... One, the Romans don't like them because they are politically a nightmare. It was bad enough when they were just Jews and they're religious, but now they're starting to worship this Jesus guy as a king. You got an insecure ruler in Herod. He doesn't like any of this. And now all of a sudden, the Jews don't like them because they are really messing up stuff for them because they are worshiping a Messiah that they said hadn't got here yet, but now they're worshiping. And oh, by the way, they can prove it because he came out of the grave. And so they're making a mess for everybody. And so the only thing to do is beat them, kill them, put them in prison. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says, For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, the Jews a stumbling block, and the Gentiles foolishness. So here's what Paul is saying in Corinthians. Listen, what we preach, what we bring, we understand that to the Jews and to the Greeks, to the, to the circumcised, the uncircumcised, we realize that you think what we do is foolishness. And can I just say something right here today? I didn't say this this first morning. By, by the third time I preach this, it may be a whole other sermon. Who knows? But here's what I want you to understand. A lot of things, what you do, I was sitting there listening to James, and he was talking about, hey, go and pray. Come to the altar and pray. There are some of you thinking, is he nuts? Publicly go up there and pray like that's going to fix something? It sounds foolish, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like Jesus to me. A lot of stuff that we talk about in church sometimes to some people goes, man, you are out of your mind. You are whacked in the head to think that somebody needs to come down and at an altar that's going to fix something. You ever notice that God in the Old Testament was constantly building altars? Why? Because sometimes the altar will alter us. Not the altar. Just that response of publicly saying, you know something? I need you. I cannot handle this. I need you. Now we sit back there because we live in a world that doesn't want attention, anything up to ourselves until we take a selfie and put it on Facebook. Then we like it. But sometimes we get in here, man, it blows our mind. Some of the things we talk about doing, some of the things we challenge people to do, it just doesn't sound cool, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't sound relevant. It sounds like, and that's what, and that's what Paul is saying. What we preach is foolishness to some people. And they freak out with it. And so he's dealing with this stuff, and so he's writing. And so biblical Christianity has been what it's always been to a lost and dying world. It's foolishness to us. But you understand this. A lot of the things we face in this culture in America is we think that we have created Christianity, that America somehow brought Christianity to the world. And so we've Americanized Christianity. We've, we've created this cultural Christianity in which 
things ought to work like it does and it's not. It's biblical Christianity. And when we practice biblical Christianity, the world doesn't like it. It freaks out. It responds. It gets a little ugly. And so here's James. He's writing this out there. And he's writing this to this group of people. And he's telling these new believers, if you wanted to take two words and you wanted to summarize James, where we could all just go home today, two words, James is going to tell them, grow up. I need you to grow up. Anybody ever told you that before? Please don't point, don't hit anybody. That's what he's saying. I need you to grow up. Because listen to what they're dealing with in James. In chapter 1, he deals with impatience and difficulties. In chapter 2, talking but not living the truth. In chapter 3, no control of the tongue. In chapter 4, fighting and coveting. In chapter 5, collecting material toys. Aren't you so glad that we have outgrown all of those? Those are no longer issues in God blessed America and in our lives today. Aren't you? Can't you just say a holy hallelujah and thank you, Jesus, that I don't struggle with any of those problems today? We've really come a long way, baby. But James is talking about that and he's doing that. And so where he starts out with, he says, you've got to adjust your attitude. You've got to put things in focus. He says, adjust it. Outlook determines outcome. Attitude determines actions. I need you to adjust your attitude. You ever had to tell anybody, said, you better get a better attitude? You need a better attitude? Right now, you just need to get, I mean, you be, don't roll your eyes at me. You better get that off your face right now. I tell you what, I brought you into the world. I will take you out. I'll make another one just like you. Don't talk to me that way. You ever been there and done that? Yeah. I mean, have you ever been in there and your child that you put to sleep, they went to sleep an angel and they woke up a spawn of the devil? You ever seen that happen? The spouse you married, you looked at him, and all of a sudden, when you said, I do, it was wonderful, and everything was great, music was playing, I mean, everything was going really, really good, and then all of a sudden, I mean, 24 hours into the marriage, <laughs> you weren't at the same altar I was at. Where did you come from? You ever been there? I mean, all of a sudden, things go really, really, you're having a, you wake up on a great day, and all of a sudden, you're going down the road and somebody in the passing lane decides to act like they're driving in the slow lane and somebody in the slow lane acts like they are in a slower lane and they don't understand that they are interrupting your perfect day. And so you are then tested into your theology, your love with Jesus, and you are sure that they have been put there by God just to tick you off because you were having a great day and you're sitting there going, God, I'm on your side. Why did you put these people here? You ever had one of those days where God just seems to be messing with you just because he's messing with you? He seems to be picking on you just because he didn't have anything better to do but pick on you? You ever had one of those days? Maybe you didn't. I thought the 8 o'clock crowd, they were all about it. Y'all must not have been picked on lately. Maybe today I'm your pick on. Hey, amen. My wife was here. She said amen. So anyway, hey, so here's this situation. So he says, you better get your attitude right. Because if your attitude right, when you get in the middle of what I'm about to do to you, it's going to blow your mind. You're not going to be able to handle it. So we see this in James. He's talking about this right here. He's saying, I need you to do this. So James is not saying that trials are joyful, but that we can take joy in knowing that trials purpose. God, I want you to listen to me. God doesn't waste pain. God doesn't waste hurt. God's not just doing something to you because he doesn't do anything else to do. He's doing something in you because he's preparing you for something. 
Most of us are so destination driven. We're just waiting to get to heaven. God is relational. He wants a relationship with us now. He's preparing us for a place with a person, not a person with a place. He wants us ready to meet him. See, if you get to heaven and Jesus isn't there, you're in a wrong place. Matter of fact, if you get to, to where you're going and Jesus isn't there and it's really hot, the question to ask is not who broke the thermostat. Jesus makes heaven heaven. Heaven doesn't make Jesus Jesus. And so he's building this relationship. Matter of fact, he wants us to think like him. That's why he says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, just flip over there right quick. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him. That means be deliberate in your thinking. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That word consider means to think thoroughly, deliberately. It's not just a tipping of the hat. It's not just a passive knowledge. Think about Jesus. Why does he want us to think about Jesus? Because he's the one that's going to get us through. So he wants us thinking about him. Two texts that can just help you out a lot right here. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. There where Christ is. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. I like the words there. Some translations let this mind. So he says set your mind let your mind. What is he saying? Be deliberate. Be intentional. When you get up in the morning, it's your focus. You start thinking right then and there about Jesus. You start thinking about, Father, I need you. You surrender your desperate need for the day. Because the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't do this without Jesus. This life is impossible without Jesus. It's not just probable. It's impossible. You can't do it. I can't do it. So our attitude has got to be one of pure out old dependence. I need you. Yes, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's got to be the attitude as we've got to see this. And it's not what, because here's the understanding, it's not what Jesus is going to do to us, it's what he's going to do through us. That's the way it is. So a lot of times we want to sit there and go, why? Why? See, I am not, I like math, I like numbers math. Two plus two, three plus three. I like that. I can even get on with the dot. When they change the X to a dot, some of y'all know what I'm talking about in the multiplication time. I can even live with that. But when they put it alphabet and called it math, there was a move of the devil to charge that. You may teach algebra and, and all that kind of stuff, and you say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. No, 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 no. No, that's not math. That's alphabetical manipulation. That's what that is. And so that whole solve for why used to drive me crazy. And then I got called to ministry, and people ask me to solve for why all the time now. And they don't even put the formula up there. So here's this deal. Here's this thing. We are so all the time wrapped up in why. And so here's what I want you to understand today. When he talks about dealing with these trials, this is, again, growing up. He wants us to mature. He doesn't want us to stay little babies. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow up. Look at the person next to you and say, grow up. <laughs> I just saw someone, don't you talk to me like that. I done had enough of you this morning. Here it is. So here it is. So he says, first thing in verse 2, expect it. Expect it. Look at it. He says, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you encounter it's not possible it's not maybe it's when you do this you're going to have various trials he says expect it the believer expects an easy life got shafted there's no such thing every time i hear somebody say you get saved life gets so much easier it gets so much better hogwash no it doesn't it gets tough man because he's, he's making you for something. He's building you into something. He's preparing you for something. He's taking you somewhere. He's not leaving you where he found you. He's taking you somewhere. Listen to what he says in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Listen to what he says in Acts 14, 22. Strengthen the souls of disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He's telling, listen, this walk has difficulty. It has stuff to it. And then he says, so when you encounter, means these trials are unavoidable. The verb implies that these trials can come immediately and unexpectedly. It is the picture of an ambush. You ever been ambushed? You know, you ever been to the doctor and you're feeling pretty good? And you think, man, everything's going to be okay. I might have had some things, but everything's going to be okay. And he walks in there with a diagnosis that just absolutely blows your mind. You ever been thinking, man, I'm so thankful for my children and how wonderful they are. And then news comes that maybe they aren't as wonderful as you think they are. And there's a trial unleashed. You walk into work thinking everything's good, and then there's a paper that says it's not. We're having a downsize. Got a really good friend. He and his family, he made a terrible decision. She thought everything was good and found out it wasn't, and she's asking me what in the world, what happened, why is God doing this? You ever been there? Maybe in your marriage you thought something was going out and all of a sudden the other spouse walks in and says, listen, I really can't do this. This is really not me. I don't want to do this. And boom, I, all of a sudden things change. Unexpected. It's like you've been ambushed. It's like it came out of nowhere, out of right field. What in the world? And here's what James is telling these young, these young believers, expect it. Count all joy when it comes. Not if, but when it comes. Why do we struggle with that? Why are we so susceptible to the ambush? I was in a meeting this past week, heard some incredible things. One out of five born-again Christians don't only have a biblical view. That, that's less than 20% of born-again believers have a biblical view. Only less than 20%. Think about that. Of born-again believers have a biblical worldview. 75% of theologically conservative preachers refuse to teach their congregations what the Bible says about social issues. Think about it. Only 25% of theologically conservative preachers will even go after a social issue biblically. Thank God for our pastor who doesn't stay away from the hard stuff. Six out of seven, 94% of born-again Christians base their moral decisions on their feelings feelings man my feelings hijack me i would hate to think that that's where i'm making moral decisions in my emotions man if i did that for much in my house the one thing i would feel is my wife hit me with a two by four i'd feel it 
And so we're making moral decisions based off what feels a certain way or a certain thing. That's born-again believers. 94%. Only 12% of professing Christians say their faith is their top priority. So why are we... Why are we struggling and all this stuff that's happening? Because we're not thinking biblically. We're not thinking spiritually. We're thinking emotionally. We're not even thinking in terms of what God's doing. And so we're just wondering, what in the world's going on? We don't expect it. But yet, here's what James says. When it comes. It doesn't mean that I'm looking in the negative, but I'm expecting in the positive. Here's what I should expect. That God's working in me to build me to work through me. I'm not living in anxiety waiting for God to do something bad. I'm living in expectation that God's building something great. He's molding. He's building. He's chiseling. He's putting it together. And so this is what James is telling him. Expect it. Understand it. Too many believers think that the obedience removes them from the threat of hard times. No, obedience puts us into a position of being prepared for more obedience God's not my genie in the bottle where if I do this he has to do that I don't manipulate him I expect that he's doing something in me and so I'm expecting this and then this is what he says he says examine it consider it it's the one that again we talk about leading their mind through a reasoning process so here's what examining is going to do it's going to tell you God's doing a perfecting work or he's doing a correcting work. There's something in me that he's got to perfect in order for me to move on for the next thing he's got for me to do. Or there's something in me that I've got to confess that he's correcting. I've got to start there. But I, before I ever get there, I've got to consider it. I've got to say, God, what are you doing? Not God, why me? And so he says this. And so he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says, don't look around thinking, man, this is crazy. He says, I want you on edge. I want you to be living in urgency. I want you to remember that God never commands us to do anything which he does not enable or, or empower us to do. God's not picking on you. I love what Warren Risby says. Our values determines our valuations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. I'm just telling you, man, there are times it's difficult. Hard things happen. And God's doing something with us. And so we've got to understand that and realize that. We've got to embrace it, and then we've got to examine it. God, what are you doing in my life? Is there something I need to get a hold of? As we made this move into evangelism, God's been preparing this thing in me. Man, for the last two years, he did some stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, I'm on your side. Why are you messing with me? I mean, I start confessing stuff. I mean, I, I confess. I made up sins to confess just to get to leave, leave me alone. You ever done that? God, would you just leave me alone for a little bit? I mean, I've had enough right now. You ever been there? Some of you going, no, no, I've always wanted to be with Jesus. He's my best friend. Well, for those of us that aren't as spiritual as the rest of you, there are times I've said, God, please, go on. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, I'd ask Stacy. I'd said, listen, honey, have you confessed some sins? There's some stuff in your life. I know there is. That's what's causing all this. 
You've got to get right with Jesus. And I knew my kids had done something. I knew that they were hiding sin somewhere. I knew. I mean, they needed to get right with Jesus. This shouldn't be happening. They've got I mean, that's what you're doing. And then you start realizing where God starts breaking you down and starts saying, would you just be quiet? I'm trying to get something done here. I'm preparing for you, but you're crying like a baby. Going, oh, I don't want to do this. This is so bad. Would you please leave me alone? I just don't like it. Stop it. Y'all ever done that? Some of you being honest. Some of you going, no, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I've been there. So what is he saying? Examine it. Look at it. Find out where he's taking you. What's going on in your life? If there's something corrective, confess it. Repent of it. If it's perfecting, thank God and start looking for where he's taking you to. He's preparing you for something. He's got a job for you. He's got a ministry for you. He's got a work for you. And so what he's doing is he's putting you through the trials so that you can be trustworthy enough to handle the blessing. That's like somebody saying, man, I'm just praying God to give me a million dollars. If you're not tithing off a dollar, why is he going to give you a million? Hello? That's <laughs> Going to buy a lottery ticket. I'll tell you what, in Jesus' name, I feel it right here. I'm just telling you, as a pastor, somebody got preach, I'll tell you what, if I ever win the lottery, boy, I'll tell you what, you won't have to worry about a thing. I'm sitting there thinking, you ain't give a nickel. And you think God's just going, hello. And so what God's doing in this thing is when you examine it, you find out, hey, God, what are you doing? And if you don't examine it, you'll miss it. And let me tell you this, if you don't take time to examine it, it will keep you there longer. Or God will move on without you. See, we believe in this world that, hey, God can't do this without me. See Israel. He waited 40 years to get the people he could trust to go into the promised land. God's going to go where he's going to go, with you or without you. How do you like that? That's a good place for amen. Now, if I have to preach an amen and everything all at once, it's going to really throw the time in a loop, okay? So here's what you need to understand. So you've got to examine it. You've got to examine it because they come with intensity and frequency. You've got to understand. There are some things that are common to all. Then there are some trials that are made just for you. Listen, there are days it's bad for everybody, but there are days God knows who you are and what eats your lunch. And he'll put it right there. He'll put it right there. He'll test you specifically. Sometimes people go, well, I'll tell you what, I'd never do that. No, but there's something that you will do, and he'll mess with you. He'll design it. He'll shape it. He'll orchestrate it because he knows exactly how you're wired. So some, one person's trap may not be your trap, but there's a trap that is yours custom made ready for you because he knows he's got it so when you take that judgmental side and you go well, i'll tell you what bless god if that's my man i'd have killed somebody right now you don't know that you don't know that well i'll tell you what if that was my child i'll tell you what i'd do i'd just take them right before the church and publicly flog them <laughs> no you wouldn't you don't know that so when we're sitting around talking about what we would do, guess what? The enemy, he's got you right where he needs you to be. Right where he's going to mess with you. And you're so focused on the sin of everybody else's construction that you're not looking 
at what God's doing in your own life. You're not even examining it. First off, you don't expect it. So why would you examine something you're oblivious to? He's calling us to awaken to him. He wants us to pay attention to him. And so first thing he does, he says, expect it. There's an ambush coming. Second thing he says, examine it. Understand what I'm doing, whether I'm pulling something out or I'm putting something in. So you better understand it. And then, and then finally he says, embrace it. What? Embrace it. Verse 4 uses the word let. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let. It's a word of intentional surrender. You've got to let God do it. Let me tell you something. The only thing God won't deal with is our rejection. You keep putting him off, he'll keep letting you go. And can I tell you something? When God lets us go, it's not a good thing. When God gives us our independence, it's not good. When he gives us our independence from him and our independence from the body. In this transition, one of the things that Stacy and I have recognized most is how much we love the body of not being ingrained in it, of not being involved in it, and how much we miss the body. I don't understand how some people can take a hiatus from church. I don't get that. Man, I crave it. I love it. I don't have to be preaching. I just want to be, man, I'm telling you, I listen to Levi preaching. I get something out of it. I've been to a couple of Sunday school classes to us. They've been a blessing to us. I want to be around the body. I'm a sheep. I want to be around sheep. I do. I can live with the goats. Amen? They're out there. There are some people out there that have the spiritual gift of criticism. Pastor, I've got a word of criticism. God laid it on my heart this morning. I'd just like to share it with the pod. Can I do it, please? You ever seen that person? There are people out here that they can either, they're either thermostats or thermometers. They can set the temperature or just tell you what it is. You ever met somebody that can tell you what's wrong? I mean, they've got the spiritual gifts of observation. I, I've noticed what we've done with the bulletins. I don't like it. The coloring's all wrong. Can I just tell you what they're doing at this church? <laughs> yeah, I'm just telling you. Here's the wonderful thing about being an evangelist and not a pastor. No, you can't. No, no, you can't. You can't tell me. I don't want you to hear. See, I get to go in. I get to blow up and blow out. <laughs> There's people that come in there and they're not embracing it and understand something. You, you got to embrace it. You got to count it all joy that God's doing something. God's working in you, and you've got to recognize that. And so he says, embrace it, count it all joy, because there's a work being done. God's taking you somewhere. God's doing something. That's the cool thing. Look at that. Lacking nothing, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God doesn't want us to go out like the emperor in the invisible thread. Y'all remember that story? The emperor with no clothes? You remember that? Does anybody here not know what I'm talking about? Good. So... You know, the emperor, he goes out, he thinks he's got this wonderful piece of clothing out there, and everybody's so afraid of the emperor and hurting his feet, and they're talking about how lovely it is because he created this invisible thread, and he's walking around naked. And finally, the court jester comes up and laughs and said, You're naked! See, a lot of us will walk around with that if we don't embrace this. We don't embrace it. If you don't realize you're about a quarter inch away from stupid, you're going to be in trouble. I said, I didn't know if I could say stupid. So for those of you that are sensitive, if you don't realize you're a quarter inch away from making a very mindless decision, 
you're in trouble. Matter of fact, you're stupid. So anyway, you got to understand it. If you don't embrace it, if you don't realize that God's doing something in your life, if you don't understand that you're susceptible to this thing, you've got to embrace it. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for putting this in my place. I understand that you're doing work in me. And then you start first, either if he's pulling out or putting in, you start looking for where God's going to put you so that you can do work. God's never going to leave us alone to sit by ourselves. So when you come to church and you just want to come and hang out and go, I really, no, really, I don't need to do anything. No, thank you. No, I don't want to go to that group. I don't want to go. I can't remember. Community group, Sunday school, Bible study, freelance, whatever. That group that meets, we used to call it Sunday school. You know, they open up a Bible and they hang out with one another. That group, I don't, no, I'm good. I'm really good. I can do this by myself. No, you can't. Embrace the fact that God wants to use you. God's called you to this body to bring something to it, not just take out of it. And so you've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace what God's doing to get you where he wants you to be. You've got to expect it. God's going to grow me. You've got to examine it. How's he going to grow me? And then you've got to embrace it. Thank God for growing me. Here, here's what I want you to do. I've got to hurry. Y'all didn't listen as fast as the first group. 1 Peter 1.6 says in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Don't miss this word. You have been distressed by various trials. Now 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold, various. Two different words mean the same thing. So here's what I want you to do. Object lesson time. Even for you people who don't like doing object lessons, you've got to participate. I know what some of you are saying. You ain't going to make me. You ain't going to make me. I ain't doing it. Okay, fine. Here's what I want you to do. Hold up one hand. Well, it don't matter if it's right or left. Just hold up one hand. Now, it always never fails. I'm going to talk about this. You got one hand. This is representing your trials. <laughs> I know what some of you are saying. He's trying to get me to raise my hand in church. I don't do this. I don't do praise and worship like this. I don't, I'm not doing that. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. You got this hand. This represents trials. Various trials. I mean, see, from... Pinky all the way to thumb. They're all different types of fingers, right? You got it? Various trials. Now take your other hand. Always somebody, unless you have been impaired or born without a digit. Okay, there's always, this don't work for me, preacher. I lost something. Okay, excuse it. The analogy fails for you. Okay, so here it is. Now, various trials. Manifold grace of God. There's not a trial that God's grace won't cover. What are you doing? You're praying. What is that? Admitting your dependence upon God. You can't do it without Him. There's not one thing you're going through that intimidates or throws God off. There's not one thing in your life that God can't handle except your rejection. And that He refuses to handle. He'll let you handle. Whatever's going on in your life right now, God can handle it. There's some of you today, you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're lost. Matter of fact, all this stuff's been happening. The one thing God's been doing through your stuff is getting your attention and saying, okay, go ahead. I'm going to keep putting you in this situation until you realize that you can't deal with this situation until you surrender your life to me. Now, here's something bad. When that stops, it's over. God will let you reject him all the way to eternity. There's a place called hell. So he'll let you be independent 
all the way to hell. Or, you can right now today say, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't handle this. I cannot handle this. Are you sitting there going, well, I'm going to do that when I get everything straightened out. You ever clean the fish before you caught it? No. No. Jesus is going to take your stuff. He's going to wash it with his blood. He's going to bring you in that right relationship with him so that you will be in fellowship. He's going to do the cleaning. Why? Because we don't clean the way Jesus cleans. We can't do it. He's the only one that can handle my sin. Why? Because he paid the price for it. So if you're lost here today, you need Jesus. That's, that's who you need to embrace. Jesus. If you're a believer here today, you're going through stuff. Until you absolutely come to that place where you realize that God's doing this in your life, either he's perfecting you or correcting you, until you get to the place of realization and to repentance, you'll never get to the place of refreshing. He'll just let it drive and drive and drive and drive. And be careful, you'll get hard to it. And you'll become bitter, cold, sarcastic, grumpy. So you better realize it, repent of it, reconcile, refresh. Let's pray. Maybe you're that first person I talked about. You're lost. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But today, you realize more than ever that you're lost. And unless you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are lost and you will reject him all the way to hell. But understand this. God loves you and doesn't want that in your life. He wants to save you right here, right now, today. So would you right now in this moment, you're saying, Bucky, I'm that person. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I'm lost and I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life today. I want to confess my sins. I want his forgiveness. I need his salvation today. Would you just lift your hand up right now? I'd like to pray with you. Anyone here? Anyone? Let me ask you something, believer. You say, Bucky, I'm in the middle of a trial. And here's one thing. God doesn't want you to be the victim. He wants you to be the victor. He doesn't want you beat down. He wants you lifted up. And today you say, Bucky, I have been out of my mind dealing with this. I want to deal with this today. I need the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to understand what it is. I need Jesus. I am totally inadequate to deal with what I'm dealing with right now without Jesus. I confess that I've been hard-hearted, stubborn, and I surrender this to Jesus right now. Would you just lift your hand up? I want to pray for you, believer. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I just thank you right now all across this room. There are people that lift their hands. They're believers and said, Lord, I can't deal this. And God, I, I agree with them that it's impossible. This life is impossible without you. So, Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you would, Father, honor just the obedience of lifting up a hand and admitting, here I am, Lord, I can't do this. I admit my complete and utter inadequacy, dependence on you. And so, Father, I need you. I'm having a pity party. And so, God, I want to I go where you're taking me. I'm tired of dragging this around. Teach me what it is, Father, so that I can be used by you in your time and your place. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have an invitation. Maybe you didn't raise your hand about being saved. But you'd come. We've got guys down here. We've got people that will pray with you. There's an altar. You can come right here and say, listen, God, I'm, I'm laying this down right here. I'm embracing it. Do what you want to do to get me where you need me to be right now. So as we stand, would you come even now?